And welcome to the Shepherding Talk podcast. My name is Aaron Kempel. Great to have you with us. Change is very unkind to the unprepared. That's some wisdom from Max Dawson. He's going to do a two-part series with me on leadership in a changing culture. So this is part one. Hope you enjoy it. And welcome to the Monday Night Bible Study hosted by the Dallin Road Church of Christ. My name is Aaron Kempel. Good to have you with us. Today I have my good buddy Max tonight, one of our shepherds here at the Dallin Road Congregation. Max is going to be talking about shepherding, specifically leadership in a changing culture. So if you're joining with us on Facebook, feel free, even though this is pre-recorded, feel free to post comments there and we'll do our best to answer those in a timely manner. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, good to be with you this evening, Aaron. I'm looking forward to a really great study, an informative study that's going to help churches and church leaders tonight. Yeah. Why don't you give us a just a brief synopsis of what you're going to be doing, and then we'll jump into it. Well, our culture is changing. Culture always changes. There's no such thing as a, as a static cultures. Uh, and and that creates problems for churches because churches have to be able to adapt to the culture. Uh, we never change our message, but sometimes we have to change the methods that we use in doing things. And uh, we still have to stay within the uh, confines of what the scripture teaches us with respect to methods. But our culture is changing, and change is very unkind to those who are unprepared. And so tonight's lesson and then next next Monday night's lesson, are, the lessons are really designed to help people cope with the change that's going on in our culture. Yeah, that's right. And so tonight and next week, it's a, it's a two-part series. We'll be talking about leadership and a changing culture. So this is going to be a great study. I always love studies like this. So I geek out on leadership studies. So I'm looking forward to this, Max. And uh, that's actually how we met. So uh, as we, I, I guess, how we reconnected, I guess I met you when I was in college, but when when we started talking about leadership on the podcast and and uh, hit it off. And so you and I, I just really love talking with you about these things, Max. So why don't you just go ahead and, and uh, get rolling and uh, we'll see where this goes. Okay, well, let me begin by saying that in all kinds of churches, uh, whether Protestant, Catholic, or even in the Lord's Church, across the board, in all kinds of churches, attendance is falling. And Aaron, that was true before COVID, but it's even more true today. There are very few churches today that have the uh, kind of attendance that they had three and a half years ago prior to COVID. And, and people wonder why. When I talk with preachers and elders across the country, uh, What's happening? Why is this going on? And while church attendance is not the goal of the gospel itself, attending less is an indicator of some serious things that are going on in the lives of Christians. There's several cultural trends that impact how people view church attendance. And if they're truly cultural trends, their effect is not going to be limited to the Protestants and Catholics. Those things are going to affect us. It's going to require understanding on our part and then action action by strong leaders for us to be successful in the face of these trends. Uh, we can't be leaders in God's kingdom if we don't understand the territory in which we're leading. And so we have to know why churches are failing, why attendance is declining, and, if we, and, and we need to know what to do to reverse these trends. And so tonight we'll talk about some of the reasons why churches are failing and why attendance is going down. But then next week, uh, we'll be talking about how we can reverse those things. Uh, these challenges 
are seen in, in local churches who have elders. They're seen in churches without elders. And whether your congregation has appointed leaders or not, you're going to face most or even all of these issues that we're talking about tonight. It's unlikely that you will be an effective leader in today's church if you do not understand what is happening culturally. And let me let me just quickly touch on three things that are happening. And these things are really obvious. And every, almost everyone who's viewing us tonight, they're going to say, yeah, I see that. I see that. Uh, the first thing is increased prosperity. We have lots of money, and lots of money gives people lots of options. And of course, our government has flooded our culture with, with uh, lots of uh, easy money in the last few years. Now, not everyone has felt that, but it indeed is true. And, you know, we'd like to talk, uh, Aaron, we'd like to talk about how poor we are, how little we have. But the truth is, we may have much more money than we want to admit. And what does that do? That gives us a lot of options. There's simply more people with more money than we had 20 years ago. And I, I want to bring in here something from the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. When Jesus explained the parable of the sower, uh, in that third uh, element of that, remember there was the wayside soil, and then there was the uh, seed that was sown on on rocky ground, and then the seed that was sown among the thorns. Listen to this as Jesus explains what he means. This is Matthew 13, 22. He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Notice what Jesus said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, we have more money, and more money gives us more options. And so that increased prosperity has, I think, distracted people uh, from uh, from the Bible, distracted people from their commitment to the Lord. Uh, secondly, going right along with that is an increased focus on kids' activities. There, um, a growing number of our kids are in sports. You know, it used to be you'd have a few kids here and there who'd be involved in soccer or basketball or whatever, but uh, the number continues to grow. And a lot of those sports happen on weekends. And a lot of times uh, those sports are going to take our kids out of town. There'll be a basketball or baseball tournament or a soccer, soccer game. And it might be a hundred miles away where people go if they're part of a league. And so parents who have money are choosing sports over church. It's just that simple. We've always seen that problem. But Aaron, I think, has gotten worse yeah. uh, in the last few years. And even this was true even before COVID. Also, there's increased travel and vacation time. You know, despite COVID, where everything was shut down, everybody stayed in their home, uh, despite COVID and, and the short recession that accompanied that, followed by a quick recovery, people now are traveling. Uh, people are traveling for business. They're traveling for pleasure. And so more and more people are out of town. I see it in our congregation all the time. And when people are out of town, they tend not to be in church. And of course, the online church offers them something that they didn't have uh, just a few years ago. And so people are off and uh, maybe in their hotel room on Sunday morning, they'll catch part of a service and they call that their, you know, that's their commitment to God. So those first three things that I've mentioned, increased prosperity, increased focus on kids' activities, and increased travel and vacation time, that tells you why 
our church attendance is declining. And again, that is true across the board. And uh, listen, I am indebted to a number of authors and speakers uh, for the thoughts that I've put together for this lesson. Uh, I'm indebted to George Barna. Barna Research is the group that really does all the uh, the polls uh, for religious groups, and uh, Barna's work has helped a lot. Also, Tom Rayner. Tom Rayner is a, a contemporary author who has really written on uh, church problems and church attendance. Uh, also, Carrie Newhoff, Rich Birch, uh, Don Truex, uh, Roger Schaus. There are a number of men. Uh, some are my brethren, some are not, but they've really been helpful in diagnosing the problems in our culture. And uh, George Barna uh, talks about these three things that we've just seen, the increased prosperity, the focus on kids' activity, and more travel, more vacation time. And so these are problems that are recognized across the board. And following uh, COVID, as we've come out of COVID, nearly all churches of every brand and whatever they may be, have lost 20 to 30% of their people. Church attendance is down and it's down substantially. And those are people who are completely, that 20 to 30% are completely disconnected from the church. Now, it is not that bad in our congregation and in many congregations that I know, some have recovered quite well. However, across the board, it this has impacted uh, churches and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, in fact, it's been so bad, Aaron, in some places that ch some churches have had to close their doors because they don't have enough people attending. They don't have enough people to sustain the church facility or even to, to pay the preacher. So, uh, you know, the, these kind of problems have many tentacles that go out in many directions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking about a couple of things here. And one is just an observation, Max, about you. And I, um, no, you may, may not want that, but one of the things that I see, uh, and I know you're probably going to get to this in discussions as far as leaders is, uh, you're observing this, you're paying attention to it. You're keeping, uh, in touch with other books and other materials, and that's just vital. And, and I don't want to get distracted. You know, I'm just saying is I observe that. And I think that's just so key is something that you're, you you got your finger on the pulse, not only here at Dallin, but also in the community, in the world, you're reading and keeping up on those things. So I think that's just critical so that you can uh, properly diagnose the situation. Second thing is in Matthew chapter 13, uh, in verse 22, like you said, um, one thing that didn't change there, Max, as you know, is the word. Uh, the word is the constant. What changed is us, you know, yeah. and, and, and the, the, it's not that the word's unfruitful, according to my text, it's, uh, I, I become unfruitful. <laughs> right. And so, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, some of these people, even though they're, uh, they're the church and, but they're at To that verse, Matthew 13, 22, it talks about the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and that person becomes unfruitful. They don't bear fruit like they mm -hmm. may be used to. And you you pointed out that I have my finger on the pulse. I'm, I'm not sure that I'm that good at that. I think mm -hmm. uh, men like uh, Brother Truex and uh, uh, Brother Schaus, I think they probably are uh, much more in tune with things than I am. However, I will say this that last year in 2022, I think I preached six or six or eight times 
at Dallin Road. You know, I'm I'm, I'm sort of retired, uh, and uh, you and Ruben do most of the preaching. But I think I preached six or eight times last year. But I mm. preached more than forty times in other places, more than forty lessons, and a lot of the where where churches asked me to come in and okay look at our congregation uh you do to help us what what is it that we need to do in order to align ourselves uh stay in tune with the gospel but to align ourselves in such a way that we're able to respond to cultural change uh in fact i'm doing that in just a few days uh up in tennessee i'm I'm working with a church up there churches recognize that something is wrong and that they're not responding to culture the way they should and once again and i think we'll emphasize this three or four times tonight aaron we do not need to change the message the message mm -hmm. is constant that's right we're not going to go outside the bounds of scripture however we may need to change our methods, the way we approach things, the attitudes and disposition we have, and some of the means that we use to accomplish God's work. Yeah, and uh, one more thing before you move on, just again, as I hear things in the you know as you're talking, the the, the congregations, the the ones that are going to make a difference are the ones that said just what you did. You you mentioned we want to know how what's going on. We need someone to come in and assess that, someone to help us grow, someone else to, to help us see where we're missing it or where we're doing well and how we can improve on that. Those are the congregations that are going to that are going to grow and they're the ones that are going to make the difference uh, in our culture and community because they're asking the the necessary questions, Max. So I just again, as I hear those things, that's important to point out. But yeah, so just go ahead with your your next few points there. Well, it's important that people ask questions and that they ask the right questions mm -hmm. uh, and looking for some solutions that are biblical. Okay. Uh, a fourth thing mm -hmm. I want to mention is we live in a time of divided allegiance. Uh, the first three points uh, that we made this, this evening, I think point out that this is the case with many people. They don't have the allegiance to the local church that they once did. Uh, otherwise they would be conducting themselves differently. Uh, I'm going to point once again to Matthew 13, 22, as I say that America is a materialistic and pleasure-driven society. And to think that in our churches that we're untouched by that is foolishness. Mm -hmm. uh, the constant pull of this world produces an ongoing conflict in Christians. We have more, we love more, we want more, we love pleasure, and, you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say that pleasure is wrong. It doesn't say that having material things is wrong. But when pleasure is what your life is about and possessing material things is the focus of your life, well, then you're not going to be as to Jesus as you as you once were. What did Jesus say? That uh, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon, said Jesus. That's what I mean when I say divided allegiance. People are trying to hold on to God with one hand and hold on to the world with another hand. And you you cannot do that. Uh, you've, you've got to focus on God. Uh, that's part of the solution, of course. Uh, but we are people of divided allegiance. And another thing that has created our problem today is the blended and single-parent family. Uh, our family structure in America is very different than it was even 20 or 30 years ago. And the new normal is, okay, uh, here's John and here's Sally, and they've both been married before, 
maybe both have lawful divorces, uh, but they've got kids that they bring uh, to that marriage. And so you've now got a blended family and are more of those families than ever before. And so more of them are going to be in our local congregation. And that creates a, a number of problems. First of all, church leaders need to remember that oftentimes in those families that custody with the children is shared in that kind of situation. And I was just thinking about a, a family that I, that I know uh, where here's a, a 12 or 13 year old boy and here's a 15 year old girl. Both of these kids have obeyed the gospel, but uh, one of those kids uh, is in a circumstance where every other week, every other weekend, they're with the other parent, you know, as a result of that, uh, of that divorce. And so uh, perfect attendance for that kid might mean that he's gone 26 Sundays a year. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. you don't parent who cooperates on that and add to that the number of single parent families we have more and more of those at Dallin Road, and it's that way almost across the country in any congregation of, of size. Those those single-parent families require more attention. So we've got family issues. And then add to that uh, what I mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea of the online options. More and more churches are streaming their services over the Internet. I think, Aaron, we began uh, in 2009. We were one of the first churches uh, in, among our, our brethren that began to stream services, and it had a lot of advantages. We had people in hospital rooms, nursing homes, people who were mm -hmm. shut, people who were sick for an extended period of time, who wrote us letters. Uh, we got letters in the mail. We got messages uh, over the internet uh, from email uh, where people were thanking us for something that would be beneficial. And in addition to that, we also had at least one family uh, that was converted as a result of our live stream that we had. Uh, and so there are little advantages to having the streaming services, but it's easy for a person to stay home and watch a service rather than being an attender and a participant in the local assembly. And of course, uh, sometimes you'll talk to people in churches, they say, well, this whole thing of streaming is just wrong. We just need to stop it because it gives people the option to stay home. Whether you think streaming, uh, do, doing the live stream is a good idea or not, it is here to stay. Mm -hmm. And if Dallin Road shuts off their live stream, there are hundreds of other live streams out there where people can, it's, it's, well, if Dallin Road's not going to do it, I'll go to this other one. And mm -hmm. so uh, it is here to stay. We cannot undo the online options. So those, those three things, uh, the divided allegiance, uh, the blended and single parent families, and the online options, all of those create problems for a local church and says, you know, our attendance may not be what it used to be because of those factors. Yeah. I mean, just saying, as you look at this again, it's a, this is where we are. Okay. Uh, this is where we are like with the families. I, I love the observation about, um, you know, again, in shared custody, we think, well, this child is gone half the year. Well, let's, let's celebrate the fact that they're here for half the year. <laughs> right. Because, you know, 
that's what they can do. And uh, so let's let's make the most of the time, as the Bible says, and take make advantage of take advantage of when we do have those young people with us. Um, but again, like you said, with with the online options, Max, uh, if someone misuses it, it doesn't mean that the thing itself is is wrong. And, uh, and so we're sounding out the word in a way that I, I believe that we are supposed to be. And I think we're fulfilling, um, passages like where, where Paul talks to the church of Thessalonica to sound out the word. And there's different ways we can sound out the word. Uh, this is a very effective way. And, and, uh, somebody, like you said, uh, who's in a nursing home in, in West Virginia, um, that we are familiar with who, who has just passed away recently, uh, she was able to get good teaching and good encouragement, and she couldn't get out. And so it's providing a great opportunity for others. And and uh, it's just a, it's always humbling. I mean, even for our own members so when they're sick and not not able to to go. Uh, but you know the, the the blessing of hey we're 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 watching you from Kenya we're watching you from the Philippines <laughs> we're watching you from I mean that's pretty humbling Max I just that never stops to impress me like wow you know the opportunity we have to influence. I mean, it's, it's more of a global reach. Uh, yeah. We well, well, yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, one of the things we're learning in modern America is that, uh, China is not our friend. Okay. And someone mm-hmm. says, what are you talking about? China has blocked Dallin road. They will mm-hmm. not allow their people, but you mentioned people in other countries. Yes. We have, we've had people from uh, uh, more than one country in Africa who have watched us. And we've had people from Italy who have watched us, Germany, France. Uh, so, you know, when you put something out online, it goes all over the whole world. Jesus said, go into all the world. And mm-hmm. the live stream, uh, it has the the potential to do uh, to do that in, in an effective way. You know, there are people who may be viewing us tonight who live in another part of the world. And this, uh, our lesson tonight will be archived online and it'll be indefinitely, uh, maybe 10, 10 years from now, maybe, maybe some of the things we're saying tonight and, and indeed some of the things we're saying tonight and next Monday night will be outdated 10, 10 or 15 years from now. Uh, but the truth is the gospel is never outdated. So, uh, you know, people are going to see this in other places for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just keep keep on rolling, Max. Well, we we talked about divided allegiance, and one of the things that has led to divided allegiance among Christians is a lack of Bible knowledge. Mm-hmm. Today's Christian knows less than those of generations past, and that makes us more susceptible to false teachers. It it also makes us uh, weaker. I think we're not made stronger by knowing less about God's Word, and and it's, we're more likely to be unstable as Christians, if we know less about God's word. The fact is people do not study as they once did. I remember seeing an article some time ago. It was written by a Baptist preacher. And uh, the title of the article was No Need to Fear the Campbellites. And of course, Campbellites, uh, we can talk about that another time, what that term means, but it is a that has been given to people in the Lord's church in our time it's a term of derision that is used to try to mock us uh, and uh, make fun of us. Um, but the point of this Baptist preacher was people in churches of Christ today don't know any more about the Bible than the Baptists do. 
what a what a terrible indictment. And I fear that to some degree his indictment is true. People simply do not study as they once did. And and the point of that Baptist preacher was, you know, for decades we've had to fear the people from the churches of Christ because when you get in discussion with them, they know their Bibles. They know where the verses are. They know how to answer the arguments. He said, no, no longer need to fear the, the people from the church of Christ because they don't know any more than we Baptists do. Second Timothy 2.15, give diligence uh, is how that begins, I think, in my translation. The old translation, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so we've got to be diligent in studying God's word. Uh, but because of the lack of Bible knowledge today, uh, this increases the work of shepherds, preachers, Bible class teachers. We struggle to teach people who know very little today about the Bible. Used to be in, in a, a generation ago, people in our culture generally knew the Bible. Uh, to some degree, they knew something mm -hmm. about it. Um but not any longer. Uh, there's a there are indicators of that. And by the way, uh, Aaron, the most popular text of the Bible, what what used to be called the golden text of the Bible, the most quoted verse from the Word of God was John three sixteen. <clears throat> God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But recent indications have shown that's no longer the most popular passage, the most popular passage, Matthew 7, 1, judge not, do not judge me. <laughs> People mm. quote that all the time. When you point out error, you don't have any right to judge. Matthew says, judge not. That's become the most. And so, it, and even that is an abuse of that scripture because right. Matthew chapter seven actually talks about how you must judge. You must judge what Jesus is talking about. There is hypocritical judgment. That's the kind of judgment that we're forbidden to do. But the point I'm making here, lack of Bible knowledge has hurt us and it's hurt us a great deal. Along with that is a lack of conviction. Uh, um, of all faiths, all different kinds of churches tend to be less convicted in religion than generations gone by. And they're like those in Matthew 13, 21. Let me read that verse. Uh, it's about those who receive the seed on stony places. This is he who receives the word with joy and immediately receives it uh, with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Well, you see, lack of conviction. I'm going to give up. Uh, and uh, so what we have is a low commitment level on the part of many people uh, in churches. And that's true in some churches of Christ, many churches of Christ, that there's a low commitment level. Yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe the gospel. I've obeyed the gospel. But it's not very much committed. So that lack of conviction everything that we do in the church, and it makes everything in the church more difficult, more difficult to get people to do their Bible lesson, more difficult to get people to come to all the services. And so you see that problem, the lack of conviction that's impacted us. And I'll, and I'll mention one more thing right here, and that's the disappearance of guilt in our culture. 
Uh, you know, when my generation grew up, I, I grew up, you know, I went to school in the 1950s and graduated high school in 1961. Goodness, that's a long time ago. That's over 60 years ago, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but when my generation grew up, in our culture, people felt guilty if they were not in church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But in our time, who feels guilty about that? Does our culture typically feel guilty about it? Fewer and fewer people uh, get up on Sunday morning and go to some kind of worship, whether it's Protestant, Catholic, or whatever it may be. Fewer and fewer people. They, uh, they don't. They simply don't uh, feel guilty by not being present at service. But add to that the problem that we have with immorality. People don't feel guilty when they commit adultery. Uh, a man and woman uh, who, uh, whether outside of marriage, I mean, we've got more and more people who are just living together. And then yeah. the other problem re related to morals with that is the thing of same-sex marriage. Uh, Romans chapter one says that people ought to be ashamed uh, when a man is with a man or a woman is with a woman, that people ought to be ashamed, guilty because of that. But people hardly feel guilty about anything today. Guilt simply doesn't e exist in many places. Um, I remember uh, hearing about a church uh, a few years ago where uh, here's a person that's been there for the third or fourth time, a visitor, and a new person comes in, a new visitor, and they sit down with this person, and this person says, are you new here? And uh, the new visitor says, yes, my first time. You're going to like it here. No guilt in this place. See, no one was made to feel guilty about anything. Disobey God you're not going to feel guilty about that here because we do not try to motivate people on guilt. And if all we're trying to do is motivate people by guilt, well, we're missing the boat too. Right. But the fact that, that there's a disappearance of guilt in our culture that has impacted our, our churches across the board. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a great thing to consider. I wonder about a pendulum swing uh, as we think about, and maybe there was a time when maybe there was a little too heavy handed guilt, but on the other hand, now it's like, don't make me feel bad at all. Uh, and we see that everywhere, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not even, it's gone to the extreme to me as I'm observing it. It's, it's not just don't convict me. I want you to celebrate me, you know, oh, yeah. uh, in, in, in my sin. And, uh, and so we're, that's where we are. And it's connected to, like you said, my, you know, what Hosea said, which tells us this is no new problem. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, uh, and they didn't know the old paths. And so when Jeremiah stood and tried to tell the old paths, they weren't listening. And the result was they weren't ashamed when they committed a, uh, sins. They didn't even know how to blush. And so just quickly before I uh, turn it back over to you, Max, this is something that, you know, when we stand in pulpits, as you know, we can't say, well, everybody knows this verse. And and, you know, we say, well, everybody knows this. No, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Not even some of the most basic things. So we can't, I'm not saying that to be condescending. It's just, that's a lesson for teachers. We get up and we think, well, sometimes I'm preaching and I think I'm preaching to Max. And so I assume, well, everybody knows what Max knows. Well, no, most people don't. And we say, well, everybody knows this. You know, I've had preachers say, well, everybody knows that. No, they don't know that. They don't know that. And we can't just assume. 
Well, you're, you're right. And add to that this problem, the problem of what <clears throat> what is called self-directed spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you take one of your kids to the doctor, uh, Aaron, if you take your youngest uh, to the doctor, uh, Emma has certain symptoms. Chances are you have gone online first and you've checked out the symptoms and you go to the doctor and you say, WebMD. Hey, yeah. Yeah. You go to WebMD or one of those places. You see, we have self-directed medicine today. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if you're changing a part on your car, uh, you're going to, you're going to go online to YouTube and see if someone right. shows you how to do that. Well, that that's what we're doing now uh, with respect to, uh, with respect to spiritual things. We're going online, the self-directed spirituality. And, and as a result, people are looking less and less to churches or to preachers to help them grow spiritually. Now they're looking for more and more other options. And uh, so they go online, they, uh, they say, Hey, I like this guy. I know he's wrong and a whole bunch of stuff, but I really like him. I mean, listen mm-hmm. to how well he speaks. Mm-hmm. He's good looking. Uh, he's where he dresses nicely and he's got a pleasant voice. I just love to hear this man. So people get enraptured by that. Yeah. Uh, you know, in our time, we have access to everything online, including mm-hmm. activity for better or for worse. And so that self-directed spirituality, I don't need the church. Uh, I don't need, uh, I don't need to call Aaron and ask him a Bible question. I'll just go on uh, Google and I'll, I'll type in my Bible question and I'll get answers from uh, uh, 7,000 different sources. I mm-hmm. mean, literally that is the right. case. You may get 7,000 answers. And Mm -hmm. so there's that self-directed spirituality. I can do it online. And the more I get my answers online, the more I'm going to rely on online. It's just going to be online spirituality. And that, that is taken away uh, from the benefit of being a part of a local church, I think. And one other thing I I want to mention right here is a failure to see a direct benefit uh, to attending services. Folks make time for the things they value most. If you value soccer for your kids more than you value your relationship with your brethren or with God, well, you'll make time for soccer when you make time for God. And if people don't make time for church, that says something. And I think that a lot of times services are poorly conducted and we think, well, the faithful will show up. Well, that may mean, that may be true. The faithful may show up to poorly uh, executed, poor teaching, uh, poor song leading. People may show up, but those who are weak, after a while, they're going to get tired of that, and they fail to see a direct benefit. Okay, Mm. we showed up. What was the benefit? I showed up. Nothing here that I really liked. Nothing that changed me or helped me or benefited me in life. And so this idea of a failure to see a direct benefit of attending services always results in declining engagement and low, lower attendance. And so uh, we've got to excel in what we do in our, in our worship services. Uh, whoever makes the in, uh, announcement or call to worship, as we say at Dallin Road, uh, they need to be on point. They need to know what they're saying, why they're saying it. You know what the most... You know what the most common open to a, a worship service is, Aaron? Well, clock on the wall says it's about time to get started. That's our most common open for worship services. Hmm. My, 
boy, that's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> what about just starting off with a scripture? Engage people from, from square one, from the first moment, engage people. But when services are poorly done and people are poor, who are poorly prepared get up to lead singing or to teach a Bible class or preach, uh, people mm -hmm. say, value of this. And uh, so that that's just another problem that we have, yeah. a failure to see a direct benefit and say, you know, I'm not getting that much out of it. So I'm not. And of course, part of the reason people are not getting much out of their service is because they have low conviction, they have divided allegiance, and they're not willing to put much into their worship. So they're not going to get much out of it when they're not putting much in, into it. Yeah, I think that's an important thing for us is to spend um, time talking about the why, um, because that's a what's in it for me kind of thing. Um, it, it may start as a selfish thing, uh, absolutely, but you know we we need to teach the why uh, as we look at the scriptures and to explain you know why this is so important and and to tell the story behind it. I, I think it's so important to to make sure that that we. Uh, we engage with them on that. Well, engagement is critical. Your mm -hmm. lesson yesterday uh, is a, was about engaging people, getting people involved. And, you know, uh, here's part of the problem that we have. Mm -hmm. When churches value attendance over engagement, it actually works to their detriment. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, we must value attendance. And you 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 pointed out uh, that people ask the question, "What's in it for me?" We ought to be asking, "What's in it for God?" Mm -hmm. I'm going to get out of this because God deserves praise, and so I need to be present to praise God with other believers. That is part of God's plan for our lives to praise Him in the assembly of the saints, to praise him with other believers. Acts 2.42, uh, those first Christians uh, who were baptized on the day of Pentecost, uh, the, the scripture says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. These people continued steadfastly. They attended those assemblies. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25, considering one another uh, to provoke to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We have to value attendance. It is a time of corporate worship and praise unto God. But when someone merely attends, they think, okay, I showed up, I got my ticket punched, I went home. <laughs> what a terrible disposition to have, but that I'm afraid that's where some people are. Mm -hmm. And some churches present so little to their people that there's not much more than, well, you got your ticket punched. And so, hey, you're a faithful Christian. The most engaged people, people who serve, who give, who have strong connections in the church are also the most frequent attendees. You know, we've just uh, added something to our little uh uh, twice weekly update, the little church bulletin, I guess, if you call it that, that we put out. We have a little QR code now down in the corner, and you scan that with your phone, and it shows you here you can do to serve God in this congregation because we have to value engagement. Engagement, involvement has to be a goal of God's people. And uh, if if all you do is value attendance, Ironically, your attendance will probably decline 
because mm-hmm. engagement is what people are looking for. Engaged people are people who interact with others and they're of value to the congregation because they interact with others. Yeah, so good. You know, and again, once once again, you're illustrating, okay, you said QR code. We What would that have meant 10, 15, 20 years ago? I don't even know, right? Uh, QR code, what are you talking about? Well, there's the idea of, Okay, we we have a paper form available, but we have this wonderful thing called technology. So let's let's use it. You can scan the QR code with your phone, fill out the form and get involved and get engaged. So that's just the idea of what we're talking about. We're not changing the message, but we've got a lot of people with smartphones and I know you're going to talk about that, but uh you know, here's a way to to help people use the technology that we have to help them get engaged. Small thing, yeah. but it just shows a congregation that's willing to shift with the time. Well, I remember one elder saying, we don't believe in all that modern stuff. We just believe the Bible. We just want to take our Bible and, and preach from the word of God. Well, you know, you realize having a Bible is something that people didn't have just a few centuries ago. That's right. Uh, the scriptures were all were completed uh, at, by the end of the first century. But the idea of the printing press being able to put a Bible together with all 66 books, that was a new thing That's uh, right. in the, what, 1500s, 1600s uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, with Gutenberg right. Press and all that. And eventually the Bible could be available to everyone. Now, someone might have said, I don't believe in that modern stuff of everyone having their own Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, culture is always changing. Technology well, is always changing, but and we have to adapt with it. And so the QR code is just a, a convenient way for our people to see a list of things they can do in mm-hmm. the congregation. It's a, to give them quick access to that. And then that goes to our website. And we then are able uh, via our website to assign people to certain, uh, certain works and uh, various services in the church. Yeah. Well, so, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. And then I've, I've got two more things to kind of wrap up with here. Okay. Yeah. That, that may be something down the road as we, as we work on getting some of those, uh, you know, 20 year olds uh, involved in technology. I mean, again, they're going to be shepherded and, and um, we're going to have certain principles, but they're the ones who are going to say, again, like my, I have three, three kids in their twenties, three younger kids too, but I have three kids in their twenties and they'll tell me like, dad, this is the way it rolls right now. You know, I mean, this is, this is it. So I I'm out of touch sometimes with all the things on social media or, or whatever's going on. So sometimes they can say, Hey, here's, here's a way to say that or approach that. Here's what, here's what young people are doing. Here's, here's where they're at. And so I think that's important for us as leaders to listen to them because they have a lot to offer. Well, you're right. Uh, I've got two things I want to say as we kind of wrap things up here, we need to get going in just a few minutes, but what we've experienced is a massive culture shift. Our culture has changed, and it's going to continue to do so. Uh, Let me just quickly give you some examples. Uh, 30 years ago, we didn't even know about the Internet. Fi, smartphones, they've changed how folks live. They've changed how people interact and how they get information. And while people interact with their iPhones, they're still looking for interaction with people. Yes, they are. But increasingly, they want two-way interaction. Churches must interaction among their people uh thinking for a moment about mass media 
Mass media does not have the impact that it once did. It is now social media. You know, there was a day when we could do a mask mailing, uh, mass mailing to our neighborhood, uh, and or we could do a TV ad. We've done those in the past at Dallin Road, and we could get folks into the church building by that. But today, the two things are word of mouth and social media. And it appears that nothing is more powerful to get first timers to come to your services than personal invitations. Mm. Um, support that with social media, whether you're using Instagram or for old people, Facebook, whatever it may be. <laughs> you know, it used to be Facebook was the people. Now, uh, Facebook is for baby boomers and ones like that. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, you know, you can advertise on on social media. But the most powerful thing that you have to get first timers to come to your services, personal invitations. We baptized a lady, what, just two weeks ago. Uh, first name is Charlotte. I'll just say her first name. Baptized an elderly uh, woman named Charlotte. And what? where did that come from? Personal invitation. And you just look at, at the converts that we've had at Dallin Road over the past so, Aaron, they've almost all come from personal invitations. And so we need to recognize that the mass mailings, the door to door campaign, uh, that's a time consuming and doesn't do uh, as much right. good. And while the door to door campaign might be personal, you go and knock on someone's door, invite the people that you're interacting with every day. And that doesn't require uh, three hours on Saturday to go door to door in a neighborhood. The people that you see at Lowe's or Home Depot or Walmart, uh, but we've had a massive cultural change and we need to recognize that. And leaders who fail on that regard, uh, it, well, they're not going to do. Well. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is a sense of restlessness, restlessness that produces high maintenance Christians. I have observed mm -hmm. Over the past couple of years, and uh, COVID only made this worse, a general dissatisfaction with life. And as a result of this restlessness, there's more immorality, more unfaithfulness in marriage, more problems among most people. There's a connection to technology that hurts interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I go at, at my age, I go to the doctor at least once a week or take my wife to the doctor and we sit there in the waiting room and everybody's got their smartphone out. People in the waiting room don't talk to each other, but they're all, they've all got something going on on their phone. And so we our personal relationships are hurting because of that. But that sense of restlessness that is coupled with some of the other cultural issues on, uh, on that we've noted th this evening that produces who are high maintenance. Consider also that we're becoming more and more of an isolationist society. People in our generation tend to go inside their house, lock their door and keep everybody else out. Uh, we isolate ourselves from others in a way that past generations did not. And COVID, COVID made that even worse. You know, before COVID, four years ago, before COVID, we were in one another's homes all the time, it seemed like. But now it's rare that someone has you into their home. Oh, not that it's unheard of, but it's rare. But there are some other factors that lead to Christians becoming high maintenance. Political correctness has led many Christians to be easily offended by certain words. And so preachers and Bible class teachers have to be careful what they say. Uh, in addition to that, people have become more about self, more self-willed, more selfish. Uh, I think the Bible uh, points out 
problem in a number of places, but people think it's all about me. More and more people way, and you can readily observe that in cancel culture. You're saying something that I disagree with, and you have no right to say it. Yet, on the other hand, they think they have a right to say anything, but you don't have a right to speak. And, and this just this causes upset, friction among people. The point is, there's a sense of restlessness and discontent that requires leaders and all Christians to work harder to help these Christians go. And with some, it seems that whenever you take one step forward, they take two steps backward. The answer for this person, the answer for virtually everything that we've done this evening is that people need to be like Jesus. I began uh, 53 years ago, I guess it was. And uh, one of the things that I remember preaching early in my work as a gospel preacher was from Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, uh, beginning at verse number 11, where the apostle said that Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Why were these given? They were given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what God wants to see in us. He wants us to know his Son, Jesus, that, that to bring us to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to completeness of in Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ultimately, God wants us to be more like his son, Jesus. Uh, I, for decades, from Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, when it says that God's plan is that we be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, Galatians 4.19, Paul said, I want to see Christ formed in you. People need to be more like Jesus. The more we are like Jesus, the more we can deal with and overcome all these cultural problems. How to accomplish that? That's the challenge that we face. And so that's, a, that's essentially what I have to say uh, this evening. We have these cultural problems, but the answer is to be more like Jesus. And uh, next Monday night, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, so... Max, you know, one of the things that as you're talking, it, it it shows that things haven't changed in one way. I mean, obviously the word hasn't changed, but what worked in the New Testament? I mean, was interpersonal interaction. I mean, how many times, and I know you're familiar with this, uh, uh, Max, that you read the book of Acts, Lydia and her household, Cornelius and his household, right? The Philippian jailer and his household. Where did they start? <laughs> they started with the people in their circle. And and so, you know, that hasn't changed. And in a, uh, as you said, even though people are becoming more isolated, I think what, we see, what we're seeing is people are seeing the effects of that. I mean, I hear worldly people talk about this all the time, seeing the effects of COVID and isolationism, you know, and, and what that's doing to people. And there's a people who are craving for interaction. And so I think the fields are ripe for harvest in that if, we, if we're willing to be engaged. And I think that's where Paul was in Acts 17 in the marketplace. He went where they were. So that, that can be, however, whatever that looks like for us today, uh, we can help each other say, well, here's how that might work. But we need to be engaged in the culture. Like, like I, I see Paul in, in, in the marketplace talking with people. In a, and uh, that produced opportunities for him to 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 teach the gospel. And so we have to go where they are 
sometimes that might be we sit in a coffee shop that might be whatever like yesterday i went to uh, i was at the grocery store while i got talking to the lady uh, at Certino's at the grocery store you know, who was serving me my coffee. And I talked to her and, and gave her a business card for the church. Something simple. She, she's, she works on Sunday, uh, but she says, Hey, I'm looking, maybe I can come on Wednesday night. I'd love to find someone through somewhere through the week that I can come study. And so we talked about that, but that, I think those are little examples of being engaged in the culture like Paul was. And those are things that are not changing. People still want interaction. You know, they still want that, that personal connection. And so that's on us to not complain, yeah. as you said, not to complain about the state of the culture, but to say, okay, what are we going to do with this now? How are we going to, how are we going to get ourselves engaged and help others to be engaged? So yeah, great you know, one, one of the things that we're going to talk about next Monday night is the idea of that personal interaction. And uh, we, like you said, we have to go where people are. What about uh, the college campus, Lamar University? How many mm -hmm. kids do we have at Lamar? We need to be on campus mm -hmm. talking to kids on campus. You know, uh, one of the things that that the online church does not have online services. It does not have the personal interaction. That's there right. is nothing. And I'm going to talk more about that next Monday night. We're, we're essentially out of time for this evening, but I hope that people recognize that our culture is changing. So we have to change our means and our methods, but never, never change the message. That's right. Uh, that's about all I have to say tonight, partner. All right. Well, thank you. So uh, thanks, everyone, for joining. If you have any questions, again, if you're on Facebook, share those questions or comments, and we'll uh, do our best to answer those in a timely manner. Uh, again, great to have you with us. We'll meet next week, as we do every Monday night, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, the Monday night study. And uh, so why don't you finish with that word of prayer, Max, and then we'll close it out. Uh, Father, we are grateful to you, to you that we've had this hour to think about you and your will and your word in this world. We ask God your hand of blessing upon all those who have followed our study this evening. We pray that we will indeed look at our culture and find ways to engage people in the discussion of your word, engage people so that they will learn about our Lord Jesus, but not just to learn about him, but to obey him. And not only to obey him, but to become more and more like him. That's our desire. That's our goal. That's our objective is to cause more like your magnificent son. Bless us, Father. In his name we pray. Amen. And thanks for joining us for today's podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at Aaron. That's A-A-R-O-N at shepherdingtalk.com. Thanks and have a wonderful day.